the heart's electromagnetic field is gigantic compared to the brain's. Apparently, the electric field is about 50 times bigger, and the magnetic field is 3,000 times bigger. That's huge. The heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And this is this all is just validation to me of the importance of the heart. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. It's your friends. We are here. (laughs) Your virtual friends are here. Are we? We've been having a rousing day. A rousing day. Um, Very interesting conversations. Talking a lot about cancel culture. Mm. Yes. And how toxic that is. I actually didn't know what cancel culture was until you explained it to me today. I, I've witnessed it, but I didn't know it was called that. And I honestly didn't know how severe and detrimental it is when someone is, you know, victimized. Doing cancel culture. No, yeah, yeah. So cancel culture is a term used to refer to the phenomenon of canceling, in quotes, or no longer morally, financially, or digitally supporting people, usually usually celebrities or things that people have deemed unacceptable or problematic. So it's usually when people on social media, um, someone does something and people just cancel them immediately, kind of disregarding anything else they have to say beyond that point. And it's really just the culture of inability to allow people to evolve, you know, if I was on social media when I was eight in eighth grade, who knows what I was saying and doing? You know, Truly. nothing, nothing would have gotten me canceled. But what it was said was definitely not anything I'd probably want people to see. You know, so I think that our inability to allow people to evolve and grow when we are sharing our lives twenty four seven digitally and online very quickly, there's a constant pressure to tweet to Instagram, to Instagram story, Mm. all of these things. And just people on the receiving end, you know, assuming or or people don't under, people on the receiving end of the cancel culture or the people that are doing the canceling aren't taking into consideration their viewpoint in this and their positioning. And and the context. Yeah. And their perspective determines what they see. Mm -hmm. So your perspective is what's creating the situation that you believe to be canceled. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just cancels out any opportunity to have a conversation. Like we always, you know, now it's, it's the thing like, let's talk, let's communicate, let's come together in community. Like, okay, let's do it. Like, let's, let's actually have a conversation. And I think the thing about cancel culture, 
from what I'm I'm learning now is that like there is rarely that private conversation that comes before the public shaming. So the the private DM that says, "Hey, listen, like you stole this from me or you said that or whatever it is, there is never an opportunity for the other person to engage and say, "Oh wow, this yep. is actually what happened and I'm so sorry or or not, like whatever it is, just having kind of a private forum for this conversation before the public forum, which inevitably, if you have a following, incites this, the crowd comes together and, and, and bashes that person, blocks them, reports them or does whatever, DMs them and, and says horrible things. I mean, you know, it could be mentally just... I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what an assault like that would do to someone. I've never experienced that before and I've never been a part of that. But then I also think about like, you know, mainstream media. So like, you know, anything that comes out about someone who has done something horribly wrong. I don't know. Whatever it is. I'm trying to think of an example. But it's kind of like you're like, yeah, they're fucking terrible. They're the devil or they're this, they're that, whatever. Yeah. It's like, like it's like they'd yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it could they could be. Honestly, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But then but then I don't know the full context of their life. Yeah. And their situation. And, and what always confuses me about internet culture and about cancel culture is say for an example, someone said the Jonas brothers are anti-Semitic or like terrible anti-Semitic and whatever. Mm-hmm. So whatever that whatever so I can't think of anything that's terrible. I, it's hard for me to think of like a terrible mean thing that someone would say to someone and I'm trying to think of an example. But what is usually said or the situation is then I guess remedied in quotes by the people on Twitter, the angry mob that say you should die, you should kill yourself, you should your family should die, all of these things. So it's always very confusing and lopsided that someone does something very terrible and then people believe that the remedy to it is name calling and Mm -hmm. telling them they they should die Mm -hmm. and threatening their family. And all of these things, it's like, doesn't everyone see what's going on here? I'm not saying that if someone says something hateful or inappropriate or racist or whatever should not be met with a feeling or a vibe or it it I'm not saying that there doesn't have to be anger on the other end but what I'm saying is that it's confusing and we're just creating more and more chaos in the situation and a lot of times these people on the internet are just anonymous so it's like who are these people necessarily they're just adding insult to injury adding energy adding this like anonymous anger to a situation and no one's really getting to the bottom of like what's actually going on. And oftentimes people just hop on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. So people look for a trending topic for someone to, you know, talk shit to or someone to um, call names to or just give their opinion on, you know, their Twitter two cents. And then it's like, they don't really actually know what's going on and they haven't really been up to date with like the actual situation that's happening. And then it's also gross because a lot of these people do that for clicks. You know what I mean? Or, you know, they'll write an article about this for clicks and it's trending. It's like, it is a really weird vortex of just like hate and not having all the information. And, you know, maybe they would argue that like, we need to make an example out of this person and not whatever, but it's, I don't know. Like every case is is, is yeah. s- slightly different perhaps. And yeah. like, we really need to take into account, you know, all of the information and the circumstances and what they knew and didn't know, you know, whatever, you know, the situation is. What do you think about, I don't know if we should 
talk about the Jordan Woods thing, but I was actually just thinking yeah. about that. And I was actually thinking about how, first of all, Red Table Talk, number one show so on earth. So fucking good. Jordan Woods, stunning, beautiful mm-hmm. angel. I think she seems like a doll. And I know that the mm-hmm. family's very close. The situation's kind of weird to me because I'm like, is that like Kardashian shit? I'm always like, is this shit planned? By like a hundred percent. I I, I, I know, I'm just like, that. how is this possible? But what I thought was interesting, and it is again related to the cancel culture, is how, you know, I'm not here to say whose fault is what, but how everyone is attacking Chloe for. She definitely, you know, should talk to Tristan more so than Jordan. And but I heard that they've been hooking up for months, mm-hmm. and that's what Jeffrey Star, who's like the best, <laughs> lives in Calabasas, said that Jordan and Tristan have been hooking up for months, which doesn't sound too far off to me. So what if that is the actual truth that Jordan and Tristan have been hooking up for months? And here Chloe is saying like, Jordan, actually you're lying and you went on Red Table Talk and you lied to me and you didn't talk to my family. We don't know that. I know. So we don't know. Everyone doesn't know if Chloe's right or not. And like, either way, she got fucked. Jordan's fucked because like mm-hmm. of the situation. Her like family's fucked. Her family's fucked. Like her, the poor thing. And she's young and like, you know, I'm not perfect in my history. Like if I was her age and like some guy like that, I don't know. You know, it's it's hard. But for everyone to attack Chloe and be like, oh, Tristan's the worst. Like you like should be worried about your family, blah, blah, blah. Like no one knows. Well, that's the thing. And that's what's so, you know, kind of scary about these super high profile people and families never such as the Card- life. Never. And it's like interesting because like, so, you know, any Kardashian could say something blatantly lying and it just starts a fucking shitstorm because, you know, millions of people think it's true because they like worship them, right? So it's just like, it's crazy if they wanted to, they could just like fuck some shit up, you know, to kind of spin it. And and that's where the strategy comes in with their brand and the show and and why probably both of us are thinking like this could all be a play. Honestly. Because it does. And you know, people always say like, well, it's just for the Kardashian ratings for the TV show and whatever, because they know it's going to be on tape at some point because they're always being followed with cameras and such. But, and, and I get that because I would watch that shit, you know, like whatever, but it's like, it is, it is really scary. And like, I, I don't know if it's extreme to say like, can there be regulations like in that way? Like, yeah. and how we, re- and, and how people like that are, you know, commenting on situations because so many people will think it's true. You know, like I can't imagine, you know, Jordan, I don't know. There's just like, I can't imagine like there's enough support for Jordan. I know she's like fine and well off and whatever. It's more just like, is there enough emotional support to make sure that she can evolve through this and she can like move on and become better instead of just like sitting in the fact that she's been deemed X, Y, and Z. Jordan actually has gotten a lot of support. People were like, no, I've seen that. I'm just like, but there's always going to be people who, and, and people tend to focus on those. I mean, we do it sometimes if we get like, some feedback and we're like, oh my God. And Mm -hmm. even though we've gotten a hundred pieces of good feedback. So like, I can imagine that at a young age like that, you could really spiral. That's really Um, formidable years. So formidable. And it makes you very scared to do anything. And there was some person I saw, I was reading an article on them and they almost went into like a psychosis. They had Mm. a very public shaming, a very public situation happen, a very public fall from the top. And they just ended up becoming someone that never wanted to leave the house, never wanted to be on Mm. camera, never wanted to be all these things. 
and it would make you not trust. And with the public shaming and the cancel culture too, it's almost like people want to watch. It's like everyone's scared that it's going to happen to them. So people are just like watching all this happen, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like, I don't know. There's just like a mass attention to it that is truly just distracting us from real shit that's going on. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing is it's distracting us from shit we should actually be watching. Yeah. Go on in politics, in the world, all of it. And that's, it's it's a perfect situation for the people that do want to keep us distracted and want to keep us from actually making moves or joining together against a cause or joining together to support one another. It's perfect. Yeah, it just makes me think too about how many people are like, retweeting things on a regular basis, reposting, posting articles on the latest gossip of whatever, whatever, and then commenting on it. It's like, you know, we need to be very careful about the energy that we are putting out and also the Mm -hmm. stories and energy that we're perpetuating in the world. Like, because what do you want? So when, so if I, you know, repost an article that says like Jordan and Tristan have been dating for months and I'm like, look at this, like whatever it is, whatever I say about it, it's like, so what does that do for me and why? Like just being very intentional about- Even the person on the other end, what does that do for them? A hundred percent. Like just like the the energy behind everything we do on the internet, I think we need to kind of like look at that. I don't really I don't really do that cuz I don't read enough shit about that stuff but I'm sure I've done it at some point and just thinking about how it perpetuates something and is yep. it perpetuating something that I want to perpetuate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Nowadays you just and it's I don't want to be like nowadays, you know, with all these people that get mad at one another, but I think that it's people really need to be thoughtful about what they're sharing, reposting and consuming. Completely. You know, it's just... Yeah, because you you read it, even if you don't believe it or support it, you still read it, which is a click. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's... A little dirty out there. Just like... It's scary. Feels like that. It's scary. Feels dirty. Um, That's why the almost 30... Facebook group is the light of the internet. (laughs) Truly. We are not talking about anything. Yeah, for real. But positive, cool things. Truly. Yeah, it's been a... I I don't know. I actually haven't like checked what's been going on cosmically right now. Yeah. I know we're in Mercury's retrograde, fine. But it's just been like interesting. I know. (laughs) Been there through that. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Every time that happens, I'm like, it seems like it should only happen one time. (laughs) I know. Literally, people are like, like wow, does full- it happen more and more? Honestly, it was till last year I realized there's a full moon every month. <laughs> I'm not fucking joking. Evolving. People be, people be like, full moon ceremony. I'm like, this is rad. <laughs> it happens oh in God. LA every month, guys. <laughs> I know. I was like, there's a full moon ceremony. Awesome. I can't wait. And then I was like, why is there a fucking full moon ceremony every month? I'm like, I'm busy. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but it's just felt like a lot, I guess, in the last few weeks in a good way yeah. and also an overwhelming way and also like a testing way. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in a mood yesterday for sure. <sighs> yeah. Push me to the limit. <laughs> I just feel emotional. Mm-hmm. I literally like, it's very, I'm usually, we're usually like emotional I think we're people. In, uh, Pisces. Yeah. We just moved into Pisces, yeah. the house of Pisces. I'm a mm-hmm. Pisces, baby. Now we're in the house of Pisces. Yeah. That's why. It's Feels emotional. very, yeah. Feels very emo. Yeah. Not in a bad way though. I'm kind of just like, okay. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway. I know. <laughs> yeah, actually, I could definitely agree. I was pissed yesterday and I was pissed today. Well, we're also... So right now, we are we're in between uh, Costa Rica and Austin. Technically, just got back from Costa Rica, but we recorded this before we left. And so we're like kind of a few days away from going. And so I feel like just a lot is like about to Brewing. shift and brew and, and come to the surface. And I think like a part of us knows that and is both preparing for it, bracing for it, but also like surrendering to it at the same time. So yeah, it just feels like a lot. And there's just a lot of things happening for almost 30. And, and we just, you know, obviously just protect it and love it so much that it's like our baby. So it gets a little stressful. And I'm sure you guys are going through. Truly. Your own thing. Truly. And it's March, baby. What the hell? Totally. In like a lamb. What? In like a lamb. Yeah. In like a lion, out like a lamb. <laughs> what does March mean? I don't know. Oh, I thought you were like, and it's March, baby. I was just thinking it's March, baby. Like, the yo, madness. it was January a second ago. I know. We had our, talked about our New Year's resolutions. It's March. I feel like I skipped February. What you doing? Yeah. I don't really know, but we I, were, yeah. Time's flying. It is. Well, we hope you're all okay. Mm-hmm. Please let us know. Yes. How's every, how everything's going in the secret Facebook group. You know, we're in there all the time. Cannot wait to see you on tour. Truly. It's going to be awesome. Truly. So tour dates are coming out soon. And I mean, the feedback and the sweet responses and the connections and friends that were made at our event tour stops were incredible. The brands and sponsors that we had support us yeah. to help support you was amazing. So we're looking forward to, you know, doing more and doing it bigger and better this year. Yes. And if any of you are at a college or have friends at a college, yeah. please let us know because we're building out the college tour as well, school by school, because we, you know, we want to hear from you and and collaborate with you. So just let us know. You can email events at almost30podcast.com. Yes. Um, and we have our rebrand coming up. So just look out for that. We're excited to share. Peeled. All right. Karen Newell. Karen Newell's on the podcast. Okay. So this conversation came about from our interest in frequencies and sound. Healing through sound. Healing through sound. Yeah. So... Actually, I was watching a really cool guy the other day. And if you think, and it was basically really, really detailed, but our DNA is made of a frequency and a vibration. Mm -hmm. So basically everything around us is a frequency and a vibration from a physics level. So I was introduced to 432 Hertz, which is a type of music, sound, whatever, that is on the same frequency, frequency to heal your heart chakra. Justin really loves it. So he was recommending it to me. And there are other frequencies that can heal and clear other chakras in the body as well. And I started to listen when I was doing meditations to 432 to 917. Um, There's some other ones that you can just look up on YouTube Mm -hmm. and then also through sacred acoustics. And it's really helped me to get deeper into meditation, to really get into a theta brain state, to get really relaxed. So I was just really interested in learning more about audio meditation, learning more about sounds, frequencies, binaural beats, um, and how we can use that to connect more spiritually to ourselves and also to be more well. Mm. Yeah. I've really been able to drop in much quicker using, you know, 432 binaural beats, um, especially Karen's um, sacred acoustics and just being able to, it's like tapping in 
to that, like to the guidance, to the, you know, the messages that have been wanting to come through and it probably have been coming through, but I haven't been in that state to receive them. So it really helps me drop in. And her story is incredible. We, we had her husband on the podcast a little bit, a little while ago. Dr. Eben Alexander, yeah. who wrote Living in a Mindful Universe, he had the mm-hmm. near-death experience. Yeah. So Karen is an innovator in the emerging field of brainwave entertainment, audio meditation, and she's empowering others in their journeys of self-discovery um, just to engage their own consciousness and connect to their inner guidance. As I mentioned, it really does work and it's truly transformational and it, it proves your both physical, mental, and emotional wellness. And, you know, she is so interested in ancient cultures and sacred uh, sites around the world. So um, that has really helped her to understand the purpose of her and everyone's existence. Yeah. So Karen really does a great job of, through her work with sacred acoustics, demonstrating practices of consciousness, exploration, heart awareness, intention, maintaining neutrality in a chaotic world, emotional management, and cultivating an internal knowing, knowing which yeah. we are all looking for. Mm-hmm. Excited. And stay tuned at the end of this episode, the outro music will be that of sacred acoustics. So I know you'll love that. All right. If you love this episode, share with your friends, share with your community on socials um, or just text it to them. You know, it's really um, a gift whenever I get content from people that that make them think of me. Um, It's always so special. So thank you in advance. And thanks for subscribing, rating and reviewing on iTunes. That really helps us to grow and to bring on guests like Karen and others. And we're just really excited to meet you this year. So find all information about our tour, almost30podcast.com. Dates will be announced soon and join the secret Facebook group. We'll be talking about this episode and other things in there. Karen, so happy to talk to you. Um, I've actually been listening to some of the podcasts that you've been doing and then um, doing some research on you know sacred acoustics. And this has been a topic that I've personally been really interested in for the past couple months. I've been really into 432 Hertz, listening to that type of music just as background when I'm working or at my house. And I've really felt like it's been a great method to calm and just kind of relax. Um, and just as I've deepened into my spiritual practice and kind of explored different things, I've really been wondering more about um, sound, noise, music, all of that type of information. So this is a really perfect timing for our podcast and excited to kind of pick your brain about everything um, and see the why, the how, and the what behind it all. So I would love to just first you know, talk a little bit about who you are, what you do um, for our lovely listeners that are new to Sacred Acoustics and you. If you could just say who you are and what you do, that would be great. Okay. Well, Sacred Acoustics is a company that creates sound that includes brainwave entrainment technology. So binaural beats, which is a very particular type of sound. We can get into the specifics of that later, but I want to tell you how I kind of got started in that. And kind of like you, um, many years ago, I I learned the intellectual importance of meditation. And this was, I guess, back in the early 2000s when the Dalai Lama was first getting the Western scientists to start studying it. And so all kinds of data was coming out about how wonderful meditation was. And, you know, it, it makes your autoimmune system go down, relaxation, and so on and so on. And I thought, well, I'm going to 
meditate. I want to know what that feels like. I also had been exploring kind of esoteric concepts my entire life. And I knew people could get in touch with spirit guides, could have telepathic experiences, all kinds of, of things like that. And again, meditation was important in any of that. And so when I first would try to meditate, it was it was really just, I thought, a waste of time because I would sit there and my mind would just keep racing with plans I needed to make, conversations I wanted to have, just complete waste of time. And I would sit there, I would try different practices, watching my breath, you know, different mantras, all the things that people recommend. And still, I wasn't getting anywhere. My mind was so, so racing. And I thought, ah, this is for monks sitting in caves. Maybe it's not for me. I just don't think maybe it's for me. But then I found sound. And sound, well, there were two things. One was the heart and the other was sound. We can get to the heart later. But sound really helped to calm my mind in ways that just sitting there silently or other types of music didn't. And it was brainwave entrainment in particular. So it was sounds like gongs or tuning forks, uh, crystal bowls, brass bowls. They all kind of make this wah, wah, wah sound. Anything that was kind of monotonous like that, kind of like airplanes or cars. Sometimes children fall asleep in cars and airplanes. I don't. That didn't work for me. But Binaural beats were actually pretty amazing at helping quiet the mind. And when I first started listening to them, really, at first, I would just fall asleep. But then I would kind of learn how to ride that that hypnagogic wave, as we call it. That's that borderline between awake and asleep. And that's what binaural beats are so helpful for many at achieving. Now, you can also use them for, uh, as you were saying, just play in the background while you're doing other things to help with focus. Some people use them to sleep. Some people just use them to um, study or get relaxed. I was using them more to really go deep inside my own consciousness. I wanted to know who is that me behind the thoughts. All that kind of meditation stuff they talk about was fascinating to me. And so as sound became more of a tool, I was more able to access these kinds of states. And eventually I ended up meeting um, Kevin Cossey, who is my business partner in Sacred Acoustics. And he told me, he said, I want to make my own binaural beats. He's quite the innovative, uh, I don't know, kind of like a young Tesla inventor in, in Manhattan. And he wanted to make his own. And I thought, hey, I've listened to everything that's on the market out there because I, I, you should see how many CDs I had at the time. And uh, I said, I'm going to listen to what you make. And he said, well, let's do it together. And so I we got out all of my CDs and recordings that I had that other people had made, all my favorites. And we went through systematically and kind of took them all apart, reverse engineered them and put them back together. And as we put them back together, we started doing it in new and more innovative kind of ways than other people had. And that's how we ended up forming Sacred Acoustics. It was actually when we met Eben Alexander. Now, this was before um, his you know, bestseller, Proof of Heaven, came out. He didn't mm-hmm. even have an agent yet. He had had mm-hmm. his near-death experience. Mm-hmm. He had written his manuscript, but he hadn't quite gotten it out in the public. And when we met him and he listened to our sounds, he also was exploring sound as a way to get back to his near-death experience. When he listened to our sounds, he was just blown away. And he's like, you've got to make these available to other people. And we already kind of thought we might do that one day. But Eben was really the catalyst for that. And then he started inviting me along to 
teach other people how to use these sounds to get into expanded states of awareness. Mm. How can you explain the connection between these types of sounds and what's going on physically in the brain? So is there a way in which these sounds turn off a certain neural pathway and open up others? Like what is what exactly is going on? Yeah, there's a lot of theories there. So I won't be able to tell you exactly for sure what's going on. Now, Eben's theory, he's a neurosurgeon and knows the brain pretty well. His theory is that it's affecting something in the lower brain stem called the reticular activating system, which apparently sends signals of, of consciousness out. And this is the most primitive part of our brain. And so this is the same brain that um, other animals have, reptiles and such. So he calls it the primitive part of the brain, whereas the outer surface of the brain, the neocortex, is where all, all of our thinking happens. So he thinks it's affecting the lower brain stem. In effect, to help shut down the action of the thinking neocortex. Now, other people think that the tones help to synchronize the left and the right brains. So a lot of times this brainwave entrainment has that word sync in it, brain sync, holosync, hemisync. And that's what they're referring to is that they think that the right brain and left brain are becoming synchronized. Now, we invested in EEG devices, a couple of them, one that um, measures the frontal lobes which is right on the forehead, another which measures more the whole brain, uh, 20 different probes. And every test that we've done, the binaural beats have not necessarily reliably re reproduced that synchronicity. And I do believe it does occur in some people and it doesn't necessarily require something like binaural beats. So the jury's still out on exactly what's happening. But I can tell you that when, when we listen to these types of sounds, uh, your listeners, really the best way to find out is to go listen for yourself because it'll affect everyone differently. But there's a free download on our website, sacredacoustics.com. Just look for free download, put in your email, we'll send you a link. But many people, what they find when they listen is that it calms their brain. And what we're doing with binaural beats is we're actually feeding signals that are related to the brainwave activity. So the delta wave state, that's the state we're in when we're all asleep. That's roughly zero to four hertz measured on an EEG device. That's the electric signal coming out of the brain. And then four to seven or eight hertz is theta. Eight to 12-ish hertz is alpha. And then 12 hertz and up is the beta range. That's the range we're in when we're walking and talking. That's the range we want to get out of. So that border between Delta and theta, four hertz, when we can feed that four hertz signal to people, they actually get into that state between awake and asleep. And so really the, what's happening, the way I like to describe it, is really up to the person who's perceiving the effects. Some people will feel vibrations in their body. Others will fall asleep. Others at, at one extreme end may end up having an out-of-body experience just from listening to the tone. Others listen at the other extreme and say, nothing's happening. I feel exactly the same. So it really, in, in, the, in the normal range, it's very broad, but closer to the middle. Many people will feel vibrations. They'll feel maybe like uh, their energy is moving in places that it shouldn't, you know, not necessarily a full-blown out-of-body experience, maybe feeling like their hand is lifting. You know, the glamour of those kind of experiences, some people are kind of frightened of that, that scenario and others get very excited because it would be so fun to have that kind of experience. 
And really, that's not really the point of all this. The, the main point of all this is to really get to know yourself on a vibrational level, not just as a, a person who has a job and you know a female body and, and brothers and sisters, but who are you deep inside on a vibrational level? And what you do with that vibration is up to your own individual preferences, um, whether it's just to relax or explore more in those spiritual realms. Mm, that's beautiful. So I want to make sure, and I think that you did answer it, but I want to be sure that binaural beats is the matching the way the the music waves with the waves that are happening in your brain, or can you just make sure that we yeah, certainly so understand what, what it is? What I do is deliver those very low frequencies that are associated with those lower brainwave states. And so we can't hear four hertz. We can only hear about roughly 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. And the brainwave states we're trying to deliver are below that 20 hertz. So somewhere back in the, you know, a couple hundred years ago, this guy named Dove figured out that when you put one frequency in one ear, say 100 hertz, a different frequency in the other ear, say 104 hertz, it's the difference between that four hertz. Oh. Okay. 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 And that's what creates that wah, wah, wah sound is that differential frequency. Wow. Is there like a, so you said a couple hundred years ago, I mean, his name was Doug? Dove. Uh, Dove. His last name is Dove. D-O-V-E. Uh, I was like, oh, Doug. Yeah, literally. You're like, his name was Doug. I was like, that's an amazing Doug. name yeah. Dove is an interesting name. Well, I think his first name I don't is love Dove. that. I didn't want to say that. I know it. I think it's W. It's, I usually no. say it's W Dove. I so. love that. W-Dove. So I'm wondering like, if there's... like, Where is the origin of these... Like, do you believe that there's like a spiritual connection to like where these sounds come from? And that is why it, they're able to perhaps transport people as well. I, you know, I, I'm just wondering what the connection is to the spiritual world. Yeah. Well, the connection to the spiritual world is really the idea that once you get in touch with your vibrational state, your vibrations are what is able to kind of connect to the spiritual realm. Not say that. One particular exact frequency that we deliver is the you know, magic key to a spiritual experience. Some people will identify certain frequencies with different effects. So, for example, out in the world, 528 hertz is known to be a heart frequency. Now, if you play 528 hertz, is everyone's heart going to suddenly open and be you know, beautiful and, and lovely? It doesn't work that way. So it, it's, it's, it's really dependent on the exact person. So what we're doing is putting the person in a state so that it allows them to access that, by, I'll just call it energetic or vibrational part of us. Most of us, we walk around in our bodies. We don't realize we have this other energetic part of us. And this energetic part of us is you know, in our in our society, it's tough to talk about because a lot of people think you're just crazy if, if you talk about soul or even energy or spirit. But the reality is, for anyone who takes a close look at it, if you do take the time to explore, you find out you have a spirit, a soul, energy. And that is what we're trying to get people in touch with. We're trying to remove our awareness from the physical here and now 
in order to access those parts that aren't normally available to us. They're available to us in a dream state, or maybe um, certain psychedelic drugs might get us there. Um, those have a different kind of splash than, say, sound might. Um, that's a whole different kind of thing. But we really, you know, our, our goal here is to help people get in touch with their spiritual side. And I, I, I don't want to, I hate to almost talk about it that way, because depending on who you're talking to, it's received differently. This isn't a religion. It's not a cult. It is a spiritual <laughs> pathway to knowing more of who you really are. Yeah, it sounds like it's just a tool, you know, another tool that we can all leverage to really understand our vibration, which I really liked what you said. Can we talk about just briefly the different types of brain waves? So, what are brain waves? What are the different types? And maybe examples of um, when I guess we're in each of the states. I know we touched on it briefly, but I want to make sure that. Yeah, I didn't go over that uh, thoroughly. I wasn't sure how much you wanted to know, but. Oh, yes, please. That zero to four. State and that is associated with very deep sleep or coma, you know, close to death, really. But we all go into detail to every night. Theta is associated with very profound states of meditation, uh, roughly four to seven hertz. Alpha is more associated with uh, very focused, relaxed states. And then beta is that, you know, walking around state. Now, above 30 hertz, I didn't mention that's the gamma state. And gamma is something that gets measured when people are maybe in extreme sports, that runner's high you hear about. You also hear about it with incredibly experienced meditators, maybe psychic mediums get measured with gamma. We all can access gamma. Gamma is harder to deliver to a brain because it's above that 20 hertz. It's actually 30 hertz and up. Gamma, we seem to kind of get to that on our own when we when we get into a certain state. So the 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 tones that we make, um, some of them we deliver just one frequency. We have something called whole delta, whole theta, whole alpha. So you're getting only one frequency, three hertz, six hertz, or nine hertz. But most of our recordings are actually very complex combinations of these different brainwave states. So when we can get someone into that really relaxed delta state. And then feed in maybe a little theta or alpha. It kind of keeps their body profoundly relaxed, but maybe starts to wake up their mind a little bit to have uh, or generate a different type of experience, whether it's seeing lights or, um, you know, getting imagery or having certain feelings. One of my favorite things to do while in these states is actually to generate a sense of love and gratitude. And when you go out there and then imagine yourself just with your awareness, say, traveling around outside your body, not necessarily with an astral body following you, but just your awareness and a little bubble of love. I love to do this because what happens is I then seem to connect with that larger force of unconditional love that so many who've had near-death experiences and other kind of experiences talk about. And those tones actually help me get there by quieting the brain because the brain is just so busy talking. And uh, that's why these tones are very helpful. And the different combinations allow us to deliver different levels of experience. And our brains are absolutely not in only an alpha state ever. We seem to be kind of a combination of all of them, although some will be stronger than others at different times. Even when we're dreaming, we could have um, 
I've seen in my own brain waves, delta, alpha, theta, beta, and gamma all at once going on. So it's not so simple of a science as it might sound. That's great. You're a great job explaining. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting because I think it's funny that so many of us are in our heads all the time. Yet if we really knew what was going on in the way that you explained it, perhaps it wouldn't feel as overwhelming. This is a sponsor that I'm so passionate about because they have helped me make my sleep so enjoyable. Buffy comforters are the best thing to sleep with, to sleep on. It has been so nice and comforting and it just feels softer than anything. And it's not only good for us, it's good for the earth. So they use um, skin-friendly eucalyptus fabric and the fluffy fill, which is the most comfortable thing I've ever slept on, is made from 100% recycled water bottles. Um, so we really stand behind this. You know, we have to be really conscious of like what we're using on, in, and around us. And so Buffy um, is something that we're really, really proud to use and stand behind. And it is so fluffy. I can't get it's over it. so fluffy. <laughs> we have our like really, our special comforter that's like, you know, the one that's showy, that's different. And then we actually just sleep with our Buffy. So whenever people come over, we have our Buffy comforter on top and we have our little, you know, textured specialty comforter that was mm -hmm. like designer, but we always go to the Buffy. And and just to add, you know, if anyone suffers from like any allergies yeah. as it pertains to like materials, this comforter is hypoallergenic. Buffy's thoughtful materials and construction shuts out dust, mold, and mites, preventing nighttime breathing of harmful allergens, which is really important. I know a lot of people uh, suffer with that. And, you know, you can try Buffy out for a 30-night trial. So if you don't like it, you can return it and it's free. Um, so for our listeners, um, we're really excited to offer $20 off your first Buffy Comforter, you can visit Buffy.co and enter promo code ALMOST30. So that's $20 off your Buffy Comforter, Buffy, B-U-F-F-Y dot C-O and enter promo code ALMOST30. It is business season here at Almost 30. And when is it not business season? But uh, we are productive as hell. I'm super proud of us. Our team is incredible. And we've been able to maintain this productivity because of the products that we use in our everyday. And one of those that we love so much and trust so much is Four Sigmatic. And they have products for anything that you might need to do, whether it's being productive, working out, going to sleep, relaxing you know, handling your immune system. But the, this adaptogenic mushroom brand does it right. And when it comes to productivity, we love the Lion's Mane Elixir. It's just such a beautiful, smooth blend of Lion's Mane and other adaptogens. And it works. It gets you focused without the caffeine high and the jitters. Um, I also love the Mushroom Mocha Mix. Um, so it's a little chocolatey, a little coffee flavor, and it has chaga as well. I just... I really, really like the creaminess of it. And I'll add some, you know, collagen to it, whatever it is, to make a special elixir. And new on the market from Four Sigmatic, the Mushroom Focus Shot, which is super delicious. And it's great just to pop before you have to like, you know, 
be super duper productive. You can do half a bottle or a full bottle. Um, it has a really nice tart pineapple taste. No artificial sweeteners or flavors allowed in any of their products. That's why we love them. So foursigmatic.com slash almost 30 will bring you to our landing page where you'll see some of our favorite products. And you can use the code almost 30 at checkout for 15% off. So that's foursigmatic.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 at checkout for 15% off. I do want to know, and our, our audience is very open to this, so don't be afraid to to explore this. But um, the, like, have you communicated with spirit guides and angels through this work? Like, what has been the experience there, and when did that happen for you? Like, what was your first time like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been many, many kinds of guides, and at first, when I first started to generate these kinds of experiences, it was very frustrating because. I thought, well, I should have an Indian chief or, you know, monk or I remember when I first, actually, I remember when I first asked for guides to show up, I was taking a Silva mind control class actually with my daughter, who's now 29, but she was about 12 years old at the time and she was having trouble in school. And I thought, well, let me take her to Silva mind control so she can, you know, learn natural ways to kind of focus. And so while we were at this class, one of the exercises was to go inside your mind and we weren't using sound, but to just go inside your mind and and ask for whoever your spirit guides were. And I thought, oh, please, it can't be that simple. But when I did that, there were two names that immediately came to mind. And one of them was the Dalai Lama. And I thought, oh, my gosh, really? Like he's the (laughs) most pronounced, you know, well-known spiritual leader in the world. Okay. I thought I might have just made that up. And then I also got Shirley MacLaine, who had written a book called Out on a Limb. She was very uh, public with her spiritual experiences. And I thought, okay, that's really silly. Now, I never really connected with, with those two guides again. But the next time I tried, I got a golden retriever puppy. Mm. Another time I got <laughs> three stars. And other time... I did eventually develop a relationship with a spirit guide who I discovered during a life between lives hypnosis session. And that guide continued to show up for me consistently during nearly all of my sound explorations that followed. And so that was kind of, you know, you got to kind of accept the guide that shows up and be grateful for that guide. And they evolve over time. And I remember being at a class once where this is exactly what we were doing, trying to get in touch with our spirit guides. And this guy was complaining that this old lady kept showing up and he wanted a man. I couldn't believe it. And you have an old lady showing up. Did you talk to her? What is she trying to tell you? And he's like, she can't be my spirit guide. It's got to be a guy. And, you know, you just got to accept who shows up. What I've learned over time is, is they can be thought of as kind of constructs in your mind. Your guidance is actually coming from yourself. Your greater, more expanded self, who's not mired in this kind of earthly existence, who has a bigger kind of picture. I learned over time that all the guidance is coming from myself, but most of us can't accept that it's coming from ourselves. So we create this little construct. And really, we all are part of such a huge existence that most of us don't really spend much time becoming aware of because we're here to live on earth and live our lives. And I'd like to think though, that while we're doing that, 
if we can have kind of a foot in both worlds, I think it really can uh, enhance our lives here in, in so many ways. Wow, that's a good one. I really love that about the spirit guides. Mm-hmm. I think that is like, I've never thought about that before and I've never heard that before. And I think that is really, really, really powerful. Mm. I think that is so powerful. So your guide or the guide that continues to show up, how do you interact with them? And how do you leverage you know, your guide? Yeah, well, he kind of... Sometimes I'll ask for him. He does have a name, um, which I'll just keep to myself. But, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> he has a name and he shows up as a blue figure. Um, I know his face. I could, I, if I saw a picture of this face, I could, I would recognize it, but I've never recognized him in real life, but it is a man. And he just kind of, I'll ask him questions and uh, I'll say, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? It's almost like having a dialogue in your head with yourself, but it's this other being. And he also has taken me places. And he has been with me when I've encountered other beings. He's kind of just like there, ready if I need something. And uh, it's not something, you know, over time, the guides kind of evolve. And I don't really call on him as much as I used to. I did have a pretty fascinating experience, though, once with this particular guide. And it was when I first met uh, Kevin, the audio engineer behind Sacred Acoustics. We were at a spiritual retreat. And uh, it's where we met. And I had, he had been telling me all about his experiences. And I was, he was actually quite an ex- expert astral traveler, which I am not quite as expert as he is. I do things a little differently out in the spiritual realms, more with my feeling states. But we, I was telling him about taking pictures of orbs. Now, in case your listeners don't know what that is, you know, on digital cameras, occasionally a little kind of translucent white ball might show up. And oftentimes they truly are, if you're doing this in the rain or very foggy weather, they truly can be just little dust specks or water specks, but sometimes they can't be explained that way. And I got fascinated with trying to take pictures of orbs. I I learned if anyone could do it. And I love trying this kind of stuff to see for myself if it's true. And sure enough, you, you can, you can just start, uh, asking orbs to show up, start laughing, dancing, whatever, something joyous, and they start to show up. So I was telling Kevin about this, and he wanted to have that show up on his camera. So we went out at night, and um, I was taking pictures of him, trying to do my normal techniques, trying to get orbs to show up, because I thought, well, they like people. No orbs would show up. And he said, all right, let me, let me take your picture. You're the orb girl. Let's see if we can with you in the shot. And I said, all right. So he, he starts taking pictures and I'm trying to generate orbs. Now this just really, this just means with your imagination, you're saying, okay, orb, let me see you. That's it. The only mystery there. And so I'm doing this and nothing's happening. He's like, nope, nothing. Finally, he says, all right, go to the space we learned about. That's the space of no space and no time. So I kind of put myself into that kind of feeling state. And then he says, all right, go to the space where you connect with your heart energy. Okay. And he goes, oh, we're starting to get some orbs. Later, I looked at the photos. There were little tiny ones showing up above my chest. And then he said, go to the space where we connect with our spirit guides. And I said, okay. And immediately, I thought of the blue spirit guide. And he showed up. To me, I felt him about maybe arm's length above my head, just back, maybe about six inches. And I said, okay, yep, got it. 
And he goes, oh my God, we just got an orb. And so we stopped right there into the building to look on the computer and right in the exact location where I felt my spirit guide, a blue orb had shown up. Wow. <laughs> my spirit guide is blue. He's a blue guy. That fleshy. Yeah, yeah. But he's blue. Everything else is blue. And I, I had never taken a photo of a blue orb. And so what was that? You know, I, I'm, I'm a rational person. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my spirit guide. And I thought, well, that's what I was thinking of right when the picture was taken. So I like to think maybe it was a thought form of my spirit mm. guide, kind of energetic representation of my connection to him. But it was pretty amazing to see do you, that. Do you have to be, does it have to be nighttime? Can you do it during oh, the day? It have to be nighttime. I used to believe that it did. And actually, it does not have to be nighttime. Cool. Krista and I will have to try mm-hmm. it next time we take pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's really fascinating. I've done it at weddings. So oh, a lot of cool. there. I've taken uh, photos above the crowd. And there have just been, not always, but often swarms of orbs. Aww. And I've all of the deceased you know, or maybe yeah. unborn energies who come to celebrate the union of, of the couple who's ever getting married. Mm. Oh, that is so sweet. I remember when I was in, or in Chicago living, I like took, we took a picture. We were like getting ready to go out and there was a photo and there was tons of orbs in it, but I didn't know what orbs were. And someone at the party was like, whoa, there's so many orbs in that photo. And I didn't know what they were. And I remember first learning about what orbs were. And I was like, wow. Like it was just like a very, I don't know, it's like my first kind of experience with like learning that. It was cool. I was like, oh, I didn't know that this, you know, could happen. I love that. So, can you, I actually don't know, um, what is an astral traveler? Ah, okay. So, astral travel is related to the phenomenon of uh, out of body experience. And so, the classic out of body experience that most people think about, and it often happens when people have near death experiences, they think it can happen anytime. In fact, I recently found out that my mother used to have out of body experiences when I was a very young child. And uh, that just shocked me to no end because she is so conservative. She didn't even know that she was having out of body ex- experiences or what it was until she was with me at an event hearing someone talk about them. And she's like, oh, I've had that happen. And I was like, do tell mom. And that was interesting. But an out-of-body experience is when you actually feel your awareness leave your body and you can visually see your physical body laying on the bed or the operating table or wherever it is. Usually it's laying somewhere because it's asleep when this happens, whether you're napping um, in a recliner or actually in bed, you Remove your awareness from the body, look back and see your body. That's the classic experience. So some people are able to then leave their body and travel all around, all around the world, all around the solar system, really. You you can move with your awareness anywhere. So when I say expert astral travelers, it's people who have who have developed those skills. I did develop the skill to have an out-of-body experience, but I didn't find it to be as fascinating as all that. I was much more um, satisfied when I used my feeling state. And, uh, you know, my goal is to really connect with that unconditional love that's out there and available to us and bring it, embody it here on earth. So traveling around the the spiritual realms isn't really what what I enjoy doing. Um, 
when I get into those states. But that's what out-of-body experiences are. My mother, I'll just tell you quickly, when we were very young, she was living on an army base with me and my brothers. We were very close in age. My older brother was 18 months older, my younger, 11 months younger. So just, and my mother was 22 years old by the time my third, her third child was born. So three kids at the age of 22, just imagine living in a strange town with no family support and friends. She was apparently going through a hard time. And when she would lay in bed, she would just tell herself, oh, I just want to get out of here. Just take me away. And she would be taken away. And she said she would fly around the town and see things that she recognized. And it made her feel so good and helped her through that difficult time. And never again has it happened. But I just thought that was such a beautiful thing, a beautiful way to kind of realize when you're in a hard situation here on earth, that there is something else. And she got that comfort and it really helped her through that hard time. I love that. I bet kids are able to do that very easily. Yes. What, what one school of thought is out there that, um, that I, I, I truly try to consider uh, often is that we each leave our bodies every single time we fall asleep. I think that's that right. our spiritual mm-hmm. self is off connecting in the spiritual realms. And we just don't remember, except mm-hmm. for those people who do remember. Mm-hmm. And I know people who remember leaving their body every night. And I trust them when they say that I'm doing that too. Um, sometimes I'll feel, uh, if, if, if you've ever felt sleep paralysis, that's the sensation where you might be lying in bed asleep and you're, uh, you're awake and aware, but you can't move your body. It's the freakiest thing. And I like to think that maybe my spiritual self has left and come back and my awareness is there, but my body hasn't quite fully been reanimated or something. It's a very strange thing to kind of be thinking about, but um, children seem to remember, as you say, much, much more than adults do. And a lot of people will remember, like Kevin did, having them as a child. And, and sometimes our tones will reactivate that in people, which is why I hear the stories of, of people's memories of that. But I think children have lots of abilities uh, that they end up losing as they get older, you know, and become more rational and uh, learn how to get around in the world. Usually it's somewhere around six or seven that that might happen. In fact, my daughter used to tell me that she could see her spirit guide. And she described the spirit guide to me. And then I tried to play it really cool because I thought, oh, I don't want to make a big deal. I don't want to, you know, tell her that it's not real. I definitely didn't want to tell her that. But eventually she stopped seeing it and forgot that she even told me about it, which is so interesting. And a lot of parents, I think, when they hear these stories, they, they just dismiss them as imagination. And my daughter now has her own baby. I'm excited to be a grandmother and having a whole Mm. other level of kind of knowing about all of this. And she is very excited to now be uh, raising her son with kind of a a more open mind so that when he starts talking about these kinds of things, neither she or I will dismiss them. And fortunately, her husband is is also open minded because some people... They really don't want to talk about this stuff. And I would be considered like the crazy mother-in-law grandma. But fortunately, I, I've been embraced. And- oh, I love that. I have a question about... And then I want to get into your book. But just 
having to do with children again. What are your thoughts on like ADHD and what is... We've had conversations recently about children kind of leaving their body because, you know, they're trying to escape either trauma trauma or, you know, these triggers. Mm -hmm. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, escaping trauma and ADD are kind of two different things, but I do know that children are, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I had my own firsthand experience with my daughter. And when she was having troubles in school and with anger and with emotions, and I took her to to get help very much a hundred percent of the time, really from the medical professionals, they all wanted to put her on, on medications either for ADD or bipolar or depression, whatever they decided she had, you know, after talking to her for 20 minutes. And my daughter was also, I will reveal, very busy abusing prescription drugs that she and her friends would get and trade with each other. And I thought it was absolutely insane to hand a teenager their own prescription of drugs when they were actively abusing them. But none of the psychiatrists seemed to think that was a problem. And so I resisted. I resisted giving her any medications at all. I said no every single time. Now, she thought that she may have had ADD and other things. As it happens, she told me many years later, first of all, she told me I was correct to not allow her to have her own drugs prescribed to her. She said that's exactly what she was doing. She would act a certain way in the doctor's office to to demonstrate certain symptoms so that she- I did that. Yeah, given a prescription. Yeah. So I was very wise not to give them to her. But meanwhile, she did try all the ADD meds on her own. And I don't recall which one it was, but she did find one that she said did help her stay kind of uh, more focused and that she did take that occasionally to help in a more constructive type of way. Uh, but of course, I didn't know that at the time. She wasn't telling me. This same medication, however, a cousin in the family was taking it And it was such a miracle. She started taking it in high school. Her grades turned around. And then she found out her liver was all toxic. So the side effect did not outweigh. And then she had to stop taking it. So I'm a little leery of medicating um, and adults. I I feel that there, there very likely are situations where medication is highly appropriate. You know, I don't want to say blanket that that all medication is, is inappropriate. But I do believe it's overprescribed, and I do believe it's not always, from my personal experience, responsibly prescribed. And I feel like, you know, my parental knowledge of my daughter should have been respected more than it was. And in Mm -hmm. fact, I was actually threatened by one psychiatrist who said I was borderline abusing my daughter for not giving her these medications, and that he could, by all rights, take me to court to force her to take them. Wow. Yeah. Did you give him a stiff middle finger, Karen? (laughs) (laughs) I was in that office and never went back. Wow. Wow. What a freak. (laughs) I I knew another parent who had a daughter, my daughter's age. They became friends. Yeah. She had a doctor. um, Actually, she had a school. She was in the public school system. And uh, they told her if she didn't put her daughter on ADD meds, that it was going to be a real problem. She took her out of that school and private school. So I knew one other mother who was strong like that. But I don't think all parents are 
necessarily looking at it that way. We, we like to trust our doctors. We like to trust our medical system. And we like to know that the science behind it is solid and that it's been tested by the FDA and all of that. And we like to, we like to trust them. But it's getting more and more challenging as we see what's going on in the world with all of these meds out there. Yeah, I think there was the wave though, where a period in time, probably when you were raising your daughter, that I can imagine when ADHD medications were getting more popular and more people were getting prescribed. And I think that was a period when we trusted our doctors maybe more so than we do today. I think people are kind of reverting, hopefully back, maybe it's just me being in California, um, to trusting themselves and to kind of questioning more. You know, the internet has really allowed us that ability and opportunity to be our own doctors. For, yeah. for better or for worse. So um, that's, I love that point. And I'm so glad that you stuck up for your daughter. I wanted to ask about... Thing on that topic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's related to the sound and this exact thing, medication. Mm-hmm. We're currently working with a psychiatrist who prescribes medications in New York City. Wow. And he is now prescribing our tones. She's prescribing... Wow. Cool. That makes me so happy. Yes. And so she... In this pilot study, um, that she's actually crunching the data right now, so I don't have all the data. But right I'll this see. second, she's crunching the data. <laughs> and what we did was we had people take, or she had people take a very commonly used form in the psychology world um, that measures um, levels of anxiety. It's called the straight, state straight anxiety inventory. And so we had people take that and, and some people in her practice used the tones and some people didn't. But anyone who filled out the form after using the tones for a certain number of weeks, we found that nearly all the people who incorporated the tones had greater improvement than those who did not. And so we're very, uh, people are using them for insomnia for uh, focus. There's a med student who was using them for all of those things to help her study, to help her sleep and to reduce her anxiety. The med- medical school system is very rough and uh, those kids are walking around anxious. And I think a lot of doctors are walking around anxious and I wish that more doctors would be calm, calmer and more centered and more in touch with their spiritual side because that just makes them better healers. I've been saving so much time lately. I am not leaving my house that much. We've just in the season of being, you know, kind of like business focused. And I've been having my food delivered through Thrive Market. And it's just been a dream. They have everything I need. I know. I love their products. I actually, I really love the Thrive Market brand. Mm. So everything on thrivemarket.com is super affordable. It's all brands that I know and trust. And then they have amazing Thrive Market branded products. One of my favorite things to get from them uh, monthly is their apple cider vinegar. So I take apple cider vinegar as a shot, maybe once a day. And then sometimes I'll have it in a warm lemon water. It really helps with your body's pH. It helps with your skin. And it really helps to detoxify your liver um, and help build a healthy lymphatic system. So that's just one of the products that I use and love from Thrive Market. I love the Thrive Market brand, but all of their brands and things that they have on thrivemarket.com are all 
almost 30 approved. Yeah, truly. Vitamins, supplements, personal care, eco-friendly cleaning products, safe and non-toxic beauty products, kitchen staples, home goods, organic baby products. I mean, you name it, they have it. And in order to deliver these low prices to their customers, they just charge a small membership fee. So for only $60 a year, that's basically $5 per month, you're able to access all of the organic food you need. Um, And what's really great is that with every paid membership, a free membership is given to a low-income family family, public school teacher, military veteran, or first responder. Um, And if you don't make back the $60 in savings, Thrive Market has a happiness guarantee and will refund you the $60. This rarely happens, but you know, they just want to do that for you. So it's great. Thrive Market also offers free shipping on all orders over $49. We just love this brand. It's so convenient um, and you save a ton of money. So thrivemarket.com slash almost 30 and you'll get 25% off in addition to the already discounted items on Thrive Market. So thrivemarket.com slash almost 30 for 25% off. New obsession is using the chosen foods avocado oil infused sprays for everything that I'm heating up. Yo, spray me. Spray me down. Baby. Wipe me down. <laughs> uh, the Simply Cinnamon is my favorite when I'm making things like pancakes, even in if I want a warm oatmeal. I will make it on the stovetop and I'll use their avocado infused oil for that. And then when I'm having my savory, I love the chipotle. I love the Italian herb. And it is just the right amount of flavor to just give it a little something. It's a secret. Like I I made something the other day. I was actually cooking for me and my brother. And he's like, whoa, you marinated this so nicely. Oh my God. (laughs) And and it was so good. I used used the chipotle. Yes, he loves chipotle. My fave. And it's so, you literally spray it on. So you can saute vegetables, poultry, whatever, you know, proteins, anything. And as Krista said, I mean, the like more sweet, like the cinnamon is so good with like muffins. Like you can spray the pan. It's so good. Um, So we'd love for you to try our go-to for avocado oils, dressings. Um, Chosen Foods is based in San Diego and they are known for starting the avocado oil craze. If you didn't know, uh, avocado oil uh, you can heat it to 500 degrees. Uh, other oils will start to give off toxins at lower temperatures. So be aware of that. We love them, love them, and you can try them. Chosenfoods.com slash almost 30. And you can use the code almost 30 during checkout. Forget this, 50% off your order of $10 or more. Wow. So that's chosenfoods.com slash almost 30. Code almost 30 for 50% off your order of $10 or more. Get you some oils. I want to ask about like yogic sounds. So I want to ask about OM, the sound of OM, when we use that, why we use that. And then also too, in Kundalini, we use a lot. And then I know with other yogic practices, there's a lot of chanting. So I want to know what, why people chant, what is important about it, and then anything related to the sound OM. Well, chanting is just another way to activate your vibrational self. So when you ohm, I mean, sound is vibrations. And when you ohm, if you experiment or any, any chant, really, if you experiment with the pitch and the volume, you'll feel the uh, vibrations in different parts of your body. And so I always like to find the, the chant that makes my heart vibrate. But other people maybe are trying to make something else vibrate, you know, maybe the pineal gland or, or the throat or, or whatever. Um, so, so chanting in general has has that capacity now very specific mantras that you might chant there are so many traditions 
you know, millennia old who've identified very specific phrases, mantras, they call them, that will activate certain types of energy. And I, I fully believe I've heard so many stories and watched so many incidents. I, I never personally worked with a specific mantra in that sense for that kind of purpose. So I don't have that firsthand experience, but the, the uh, you know, millennia of people who, who have had these kinds of uh, experiences with different mantras is, is really undeniable. Now, Om in particular is highly regarded in the Hindu tradition, as I'm sure most people may realize. And that's, you know, kind of comes into the yoga tradition from that. And Om is for them the primordial vibration of the entire universe. And so interestingly, you know, we talked about Eben Alexander earlier during his near-death experience in the deepest part of it, he heard that sound Om, that resonance of Om. And it was so powerful to him. He ended up calling God Om because he didn't want to use God because that had so much baggage to it. Om was the purest kind of thing. And it's so funny. We are, uh, he and we are both just beloved by the Hindus for that reason. And we get invited every year to go to the uh, Shivananda uh, Yoga Retreat Center in the Bahamas on Paradise mm -hmm. Island, which is so funny because it's right next door to the big Atlantis resort. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to experience that mm -hmm. Om energy. Mm -hmm. Now, we incorporated Om into our recording, not for any kind of religious reasons, but for that reason I mentioned in the beginning that it really helps to activate your vibrational state. It helps you to get into the present moment and just kind of find your center. And so really vocalizing that om is, is a really wonderful foundation for further kind of exploration. And so we highly encourage people to om. We do have our free download is actually our own recording and maybe about half of our recordings now actually begin with those own frequencies because we find them to be such a powerful foundational um, start. Some people find it scary. Some people can't get past their um, religious beliefs and think that it's, you know, maybe not so useful. There's a lot of feelings around Ohm, but to me, it's kind of a universal sound that everyone can can tap into with their own voice and so why not mm -hmm. love it i just have one last question that i would be remiss not to ask so a lot of our girls in the group so we have a secret facebook group sorry i'm kneeling on the ground <laughs> um we have a secret Facebook group of women and men all over the world that we connect and chat. And one thing that I shared with them, the 432 Hertz, as I mentioned. So I wanted to talk to you about what is 432 Hertz? What's 528 Hertz? What are the differences? And, and why would someone use those? And what's happening when you're using um, those types of sounds? All right. So instruments are... If someone's going to play in a band or an orchestra or anything like that, they all have to have their instruments tuned to the same frequency, or it's not going to make any sense. And so somewhere along the line, uh, maybe, I don't know, 100 or so years ago, the standard was set at 440 hertz. Now, also somewhere along the line, someone discovered these ancient frequencies called the solfeggios, which apparently are... Um, we're, according to this theory, so I'll get a little conspiracy theory on you. According to this theory, uh, these, tone, these frequencies were suppressed. 
were left out of church singing because the church leaders did not want to have the church participants gaining their own connection to God or source. And so this is the conspiracy. I don't know if it's true. I really, how many of us can get back into those church fathers' heads and know if that's really what they were doing? So I like to keep an open mind around, is it or isn't it? But many people believe that that's the case. So these kind of frequencies that were suppressed became very interesting to people. And they thought, okay, well, what can we do with these? Why are these so important? And 528 is one of them. 432 is not one of them. That's a different, a different sort of theory. But for, I think 417 is one of the solfeggios. And so these frequencies, uh, many people like to say, have a different kind of power. And that's that 528 comes from a solfeggio. And somebody, a, a man, uh, Leonard Cohen, I believe was his name, is the one who associated 528 with the heart frequency. And so, like I said earlier, we've done some some, you know, of our own ex experiments, and we have not reliably found, you know, 528 to always activate the heart, but our minds are so much a part of it, and where our energy is, is so much a part of it, just the sound can't do it, just like just the pill isn't necessarily going to do it, you know, adjusting one piece of chemistry is not addressing the whole body, one frequency may not necessarily do that. Now, there's an organization in San Francisco I believe they're called the Sound Healing Institute, something like that. They've identified frequencies for every uh, organ in the body. And again, wow. I haven't done a lot yeah. of exploration on that. But I do want to mention along these lines, what the 432 is, is a lot of people get excited about is that when, when you tune instruments to 432 instead of 440, that then people start to connect more to their spiritual self, to their spiritual vibration. And they actually have done some scientific studies on orchestras tuned to 432 versus 440. And in fact, people report a more feeling type of experience with the 432. Now, the, we incorporate these frequencies into our recordings. Those are what we call the carriers. That's how we build the binaurals. So if we wanted to deliver a 528 hertz to you, we would have to straddle it around the 528 and give you a 526 and a 530. And then we would include a center frequency of 528. I hope that makes sense. So it's all really a strict science when it comes to all of these things. What we do though, that I believe is different than any other binaural beat manufacturer, producer, composer, is that every single carrier frequency that we use to create our binaural beats and marnora beats are harmonic to each other. And so some our ohm is actually 108 to 16 and 432. That's what we chose. Those are the carriers. And there's always more than one carrier because that's what makes a beautiful kind of sound in your ear. Not just a, a binaural beat by itself is just sounds like a you know, it's not pleasant to listen to. So when you can combine the carrier frequencies harmonically, it starts to sound a little bit like music and we're able to leave out some of the masking sound effects like white noise or surf or ocean that a lot of other uh, people do to help them more easily, uh, more easy on the ear. Mm. Well, with your permission, we'd love to, you know, when this episode goes live, close out the episode with a sampling of your sacred acoustics. I'd love yeah, for people to hear. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, and just for your listeners, it's mm -hmm. uh, 
probably not going to be the highest quality. We see that there are the MP3 at 320, um, and probably when you when you post this, it'll be lower than that. So the effect won't be as strong. And also, we highly, highly, really insist actually on the use of headphones to get mm-hmm. the full effect. And thank mm-hmm. God, headphones have come back into fashion because. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You really need your headphones. Um, what's so interesting is it will work over speakers, but if you have good quality speakers and a very good left-right differential, so a lot of times, you know, they, they sell these speakers now, these little one-speaker systems, very cool little bricks like Bose or, or Dr. Beats or all those that are, that are so fabulous, those little wireless Bluetooth speakers, but you're not getting your left-right uh, difference anymore. So you want to be careful. That's the most powerful effect. You'll have some effect. And actually, one of our recordings, Sacred Lullaby, was actually designed to be played over an iPhone. Oh, okay. cool. yeah. what about that one? Because that's one that we designed to help babies uh, fall asleep. But some humans use it too. My daughter, when she was pregnant, she loved Sacred Lullaby. Mm. It helped her sleep. And now it helps her son sleep. And her husband, who snores, he actually snores less. Really? Oh. Yeah. Um, that's so yeah, funny. Even saying, "Where's my lullaby?" <laughs> I would love. I would love to close out. I want to talk about living in a mindful universe. If you could just briefly, because we've uh, spoken to Evan, and I'd love to know, kind of your meeting, your kind of like. It feels like a divine intersection on planet Earth, just like having both of your backgrounds cross and then just creating this beautiful work and then uh, what people can expect when they pick up the book. Yeah. Okay. So when I when I first met Evan, um, I think I explained that a little earlier. We were at that sound, sound conference. He listened to our sound. Kevin and I, for about a year up to that point, had been listening to our sound creations just for our own use. We would listen at the same time and then um, get on the phone and tell each other what happened. And so this, they became what we called shared journeys. So sometimes we would kind of cross paths and sense each other, and then we would compare notes to see if we were correct. And we weren't always, but very often we were. And when we met Evan, he joined us. And uh, from our three different cities, we would all listen to the same recordings, get on the phone, tell each other what happened. And this was just the most fascinating thing. Now, Evan and I also had a rather close personal connection. And that developed over time. And uh, eventually, you know, we, we are a, a very strong and happy couple. And uh, it does feel divine to me, but I'm a little biased. So <laughs> at, at any rate, when he was ready to write his third book, um, he, he really, when he wrote the first book, he really, 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 really wanted to write about the scientific aspects of all of this. And in his book, Proof of Heaven, the editor that he had really encouraged him to keep it more on the spiritual level because they thought it would reach a lot more people and the message would help more people if it was delivered that way. People were not used to marrying science and spirituality, but he managed to fight for about a page and a half of quantum physics. Mary and cosmology. And so a lot of people do see him as a scientist because he managed to get that in. He had so much more to say on that topic. He really wanted to write a book that had that scientific foundation, that explanation of how all that worked. But he also wanted to, or at least through our discussions and all of this, maybe I wanted to show people 
why this is relevant in their daily lives. Because, you know, when you read about all these theory of everything, quantum mechanics, this, that, it's very hard for lay people to understand. It's actually very hard because I've heard them discuss it for scientists to understand. So for lay people to go and understand quantum mechanics is, is a pretty, pretty tall order. But, but Evan really wanted to do that. And so the first half of the book is kind of his journey in figuring out all of the science behind it. And then the second half is really, why does this matter? Why should we care? And so that's where the spirituality comes in. So the book really does bring together science and spirituality in a way that I really haven't seen another book do. A lot of spiritual books will have some science in it, but not at the level that Evan is able to deliver it. A lot of the kind of pop science writers really dumb it down and, and make some leaps that maybe shouldn't be made, as I've learned from uh, being with Evan. He's like, no, 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 no. He's not doing it right. He's forgetting this part. And if you know, if, if you can't follow someone's leaps of logic, you really their whole kind of uh, presentation just falls apart. And that's something that that Evan brings to the table. But my part of doing all of this was really the personal experience side. I had had so many of my own personal experiences that were cultivated intentionally. Some of them came unbidden, but in the midst of my active cultivation. Whereas Evan, he just was in a coma, and it happened to him without you know, even trying. And, and so it was kind of two different approaches to have similar experiences. Now, we purposely subtitled that book Into the Heart of Consciousness, because the heart is really, I believe, key to our very existence here on the planet. And so in the book, we talk about HeartMath Institute. And uh, heart, the, the thing about HeartMath Institute that really excites me First of all, they've identified that we all have a torus field, an energetic electromagnetic field that emits from the heart. This in itself isn't unusual. Any kind of electrical object will have an electromagnetic field. The brain has one too. But the heart's electromagnetic field is gigantic compared to the brain's. Apparently, the electric field is about 50 times bigger, and the magnetic field is 3,000 times bigger. That's huge. The heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And this is this all is just validation to me of the importance of the heart, of emotions and of feelings and of what we do with all of that. When I had my racing mind, I hope you'll indulge me because this is my favorite topic. Yeah, keep going. Mind, <laughs> uh, attention to the heart was another aspect of the sound that helped me quiet it down. Because just by moving awareness down to the heart and focusing on the heart, you're moving away from that linguistic center of the brain where all the words are. And of course, in the heart, what you find is all that stored emotional trauma that you've put there kind of unintentionally over the years if you haven't processed certain events. And that's, of course, what you find first. But once you start to pay attention to it, certain processes allow you to release it, and then it gets filled up with something else. And that something else is the pure love that we're all made of. And so what's so fascinating about the HeartMap research is when people are around others, each heart field affects all the people around them. So they've done studies with one person sitting across the table from another who's performing what they call a coherence technique. A coherence technique is really just generating a feeling of gratitude in your heart. That's all it is. You can become more coherent just by generating the feeling of gratitude, not the thought of gratitude, the feeling of gratitude. It's very different. 
And so when you're sitting there feeling gratitude across from someone else who's doing absolutely nothing, their brain waves and heart rate variability start to match the person sitting across from them. So you can influence people around you just by holding your own heart a certain way. So think about it. If you have a nine to five job or any job, you're, you're there working and someone comes in complaining about their commute or the bad weather and everyone kind of just gets in a like bad mood. Someone else comes in all smiley. Everyone gets happier. And what they're finding is that this is coming from the heart. That It's actually another tradition I learned likes to say that emotions are magnetic and thoughts are electric. And it's our emotional state that manage, that happens to correlate with the uh, size of that electromagnetic field. So we can, if we can consciously manage our thoughts and emotions, we can consciously manage our electromagnetic field of the heart. And that electromagnetic field of the heart affects the people around us. So what does that tell me? What is the best thing that we can do for this world? And this is something I really hope, especially the, your younger, to me, audience will, will really take to heart, literally speaking. And that is that if, if you generate love and gratitude in your heart, you're affecting the people around you by sending them love and gratitude without saying a word without doing anything at all. And I've come to call this the ultimate golden rule, that if you want to be present in the world and help other people, the best way to do that is to get your own heart centered, to get your own heart clear, and to get your own heart in that loving gratitude type of space. And if every person on the planet would do this, I feel like children should learn this at a very young age. And I feel like I've learned it and it's just become like an automatic thing for me. I don't even have to think about it anymore. Now, that's not to say that I don't get angry, that I don't get frustrated or get triggered by emotional things. Of course that happens. But now I have a much different way of dealing with it. I can kind of take the meditation where you learn how to, sh to quiet your thoughts can help you be more neutral, more objective in an emotional situation. And getting in touch with your feeling state can help you process those emotions properly and no longer have that trauma stored in your system. Many, many, many spiritual uh, healers will tell you that stored emotional trauma results in physical illness. And that by addressing those kind of emotional issues, we can help our physical illness. Now, there's also a lot of controversy around all of that, and I don't want to be absolute, but it's also important to think about all those different mindsets. And each and every one of us will be helped by one of those mindsets. And so it's important to get them all out. I'm in awe. Yeah. Thank you so much for, I mean, one, for being here, but two, I just think you are, you know, even though this has been around for hundreds of years, for you to be able to make this accessible to a lot mm -hmm. of people and to be connecting the dots in a way that is digestible. And I'm really excited. Please keep this posted on the study with the children. That's like very, very powerful and exciting, I think, as an alternative to to uh, treat ADHD and other uh, learning disabilities. So can I add um, one more thing? Of course. I have to add this. Yeah. Because, you know, I mentioned my daughter and how much trouble she had in high school and how angry she was and how upset and how she abused drugs and all of that. And now she has a baby of your own. And you might be wondering, how's she doing now? Well, what is absolutely so amazing is over the years, she did get better. She did learn. It was actually written about in Living in a Mindful Universe in our book. 
where she went to a hypnotherapist who regressed her or actually progressed her in her mind to her future, two different options. She chose which option she wanted, and the hypnotherapist told her that she was now in charge. This was kind of a turning point for her, that she started to get a little more control of her life. Now, being in your 20s these days is not necessarily easy, and she had a hard time. And I, I kind of turned to some tough love, and she had to live on her own for a while, and I wouldn't support her and, and things like that. And uh, she wasn't destitute or anything, but I wasn't, I was trying not to enable her. And at some point, she got herself into a really fabulous relationship with a wonderful man, and they together decided they would have a baby. And I thought, and they decided they would get married before they would have the baby. And I thought, well, that's really weird because two parents, I was kind of a single mom and two parents would, would really just be so much better for a baby. And uh, at any rate, I was a little concerned. I thought, oh my gosh, I know how she handles stress. I knew she had improved a lot. And I thought maybe having a baby might set her back a little bit. What, you know, maybe just handling all the stress of a new baby and postpartum depression or something like that. The most remarkable thing is that the baby, having the baby has she has grown so much in the seven months since he was born. I am blown away. So now when she is faced with uh, problems or stresses or things like that, what she does is she thinks, I have to be strong for my baby. And I taught her the heart center technique um, of centering in your heart and imagining you're breathing in and out of your heart into a bubble around your body. And she says that works for her. And she uses our sounds. And the most amazing thing is she can find her center for her baby. She couldn't do it for herself, but she can do it for her baby. And she's modeling. I said, you just want to be strong for your baby. And she says, I want to be there for my baby like you were there for me. And I have to say that is the most heartwarming, wonderful thing to hear. Just makes it all worthwhile, all those difficult years. And I have to say, during all those difficult years, I never faltered. I loved my daughter no matter what. Even though her behavior was sometimes questionable, uh, it was her choice to make all those decisions. And now to see her and the way she's grown, all of those experiences added up to the beautiful human she is today. And I'm so proud of her as a mom. And uh, I just had to add that. Oh, thank you for that. That is beautiful. I'll have to send her this episode. That's really nice. I would want to hear that (laughs) as your daughter. Um, Well, how can people connect with you? So I know um, sacredacoustics.com is that the main website for you know connecting with you and your work. Sacredacoustics.com, and we also have a YouTube channel. Great. On the YouTube channel, uh, what's most useful is a bunch of uh, training videos that I made. They're completely free that help people learn how to use these recordings because it is kind of different than um, what you thought of as regular meditation. So, and anyone can write into the, using the contact form to contact me directly. Great. It's a great idea. I love the training videos. I think that's really smart. Mm. Um, really appreciate your time, Karen. Um, this was so insightful and you know, you are so sweet and thoughtful and knowledgeable. And um, I loved ending on that little loving note for, for your daughter and her journey. So I appreciate that story. We will keep you posted, but thank you so much. Yeah, you're the best, Karen. Yes, thank you. thank you so much. And I can't wait for everyone to hear the sacred lullaby. I know. <laughs> That'll close out this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, cosmic womb is another really... Ooh, oh, cosmic womb. writing it down. Enough said. <laughs> my daughter's labor. And it was actually made by our audio engineer when his wife was... Oh, wow. 
Let me find me an audio engineer. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. All, All right, right Karen. Well, thank you, Karen. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Love you so much. Such a cutie. All right. Review of the week. Yeah. Thanks so much for writing your reviews, guys. Means a lot. It means so much. For our little community. We're trying to get to 2K. <laughs> She's like, we better get to 2K by um, April. Yeah, literally. I'm on the road. <laughs> uh, this one is, thank you for having Sally Krawcheck on. Five stars. I've been meaning to write a raving review for almost 30 for a while now, but I, but once I heard the episode with Sally Krawcheck, I knew it was time. Krista and Lindsay discuss intriguing and important topics in such a playful yet sophisticated manner. I am especially grateful that they decided to have Sally Krawcheck on. I am a senior in college and going into IB after graduation. The whole episode, I was just thinking about how it felt like Sally was my mentor and Krista and Lindsay were my older sisters. So often when subjects like the gender pay gap and workplace discrimination are discussed, I feel nothing but discouragement. However, Sally was able to deliver the harsh reality while inspiring the next generation to move forward. Thank you again for everything. Wow. From... People who play Sims Three. <laughs> oh, I love the Sims. <laughs> that. That's so sweet and and yeah, so articulate. And I couldn't agree more about Sally and that conversation. Also, had a big impact on us. So thank you. Yeah, you can listen to the episode we did with Sally Krawcheck. It's a few weeks back from here, so yeah, it's in there. Um, if you want to start a podcast, yourpodcastpro.com, Y-O-U-R podcastpro.com. We'll be launching our second course in the next few weeks, so look out for dates. We're going to be on tour, so invite your friends. We're going to be doing sound baths, self-love workshops, uh, fitness classes, meditations, connection. It's going to be awesome. Pool parties. Pool parties, <laughs> pillow fights. <laughs> pillow fights. Whatever we want to do to keep it sexy. <laughs> uh, we can't wait to meet you. It's the best part of what we do. So um, we love you. We love you. Have a great week. Love you. <laughs>